fashion. This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love Set Match. Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim, also known as the Tennis Pro at the Langham Huntington Hotel. And with me is my awesome co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hello, Valerie. Hey, Philip. How's it going? It's going great. I'm so excited that I'm going to start teaching again at the Langham after over 400 days, uh, a year and some. Uh, next wow. week is my first week back uh, teaching on those courts. The hallowed five-star hotel that I love so much is actually finally opening the courts. They're not opening a lot of other things, uh, but at least they're allowing people to play tennis there. That's awesome. I actually had some coworkers from that are um, in New York come out last week and visit, and they stayed at the Langham, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was bragging about you, hey, <laughs> I'm friends with the tennis pro there, and they were like, oh, next time we come, we'll bring our rackets. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have rackets there, and I could bring them rackets too, if you know anyone who wants to play with me there, that'd be super fun, so you can tell them, I'll bring them a racket and some brand new fresh balls, and we can play on one of the best courts in Southern California, I love playing there, so great. Yeah, they were really nice. You um, afforded me the opportunity to play doubles with you there once, and that was so fantastic. Yeah, I love it there, and I'm so glad it's opening, which is really a great sign, right? I mean, things are finally opening up slowly but surely. Hospitality seems like the last on the list to open, obviously because of all the people that come in. But hey, it's getting there, right? Yes, so that's really exciting. I'm happy for you. Yes, thank you so much. And I'm happy to be sharing this podcast talking about Asian American Heritage Month. And this is the last in the series that's promoting Asian American Heritage because of the USTA, which asked me to do an initiative that's specifically for diversity and inclusion and to be the chairperson for the Asian American Subcommittee, raise awareness for Asian Americans in tennis, which, wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It really sounded like a mouthful, but that's so cool, <laughs> Philip. I mean, I'm curious because I knew that you I knew that you were on on like that you joined um, and that you're the chair, but I don't really know much about it. Like, how has it been going? Are you meeting lots of people and are you having super cool interactions and yeah, events you know, or, you know, like, what can you tell us? Yeah, honestly, it's slow, slow goings because it's the USTA, right? I mean, it's such a large, large organization and we're a very small volunteer committee as a part of the whole organization. But I do feel like they take what we say seriously. We submit all of our initiatives and ideas and it's been getting a lot of support. So I really appreciate that. But more importantly, the people behind the initiative, the volunteers on the committee, they're amazing people that I get to work with and I'm so proud to 
be a part of their team. George Chung, Ben Liu, Mike Mora, Beverly Martin, UJ Neary, all just really great friends of mine that I asked to be a part of this team and let's do something special. I hope every year we'll be able to do something like this, not only on the Tennis Podcast, but I hope to actually have a special event to just bring all of the Asian American communities together in Southern California just to play tennis, maybe a fun tournament barbecue, something like that. A little bit of networking, you know, talking about the initiatives. And not to be exclusive in any way, because also on our subcommittee, there's the Hispanic Heritage Month Committee as well. There's African American Heritage Month Committee. So there's lots of different focuses. And this is just the one that I'm talking about right now. But there's lots of ways to get involved if you would like to help to bring diversity and inclusion into tennis. And there's also lots of changes right now at the USTA, at the SCTA. I I think they just recently lost their CEO, so they're on a CEO hunt. So it's really just a lot of people on the ground that oh, that I'm are sending doing in great my resume. Things. I think you would be great. I would yeah. definitely vote for you because <laughs> <laughs> you love tennis. I really do. <laughs> Well, you know who also loves tennis is the next guest for this podcast. I'm so honored to have talked with him. His name is Grant Chen. And Grant really is so passionate about tennis. I feel like he's just like us, you know, the whole idea that we're a podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. Grant just fell into his job coaching at UCLA because he loved tennis so much. He had a friend who was at UCLA with him at on the team and said, hey, why don't you, I know you love tennis. Why don't you come out and help out the team? So he helped out like literally by picking up towels and, you know, helping with water and, you know, all of those kinds of really simple volunteer things. And over a 15 year period, he, he was so passionate, so loyal and had such great character that he rose to the position of assistant head coach with the famed Bruin head coach, Billy Martin. And he was there for 15 years, ranging from team manager to associate head coach. And he really has such a great story to tell how he fell in love with tennis as a child in in Santa Barbara. And so much, the whole story, I think, is really inspiring. So I'm super excited to introduce him to the world if they haven't met him before. I can't wait to hear it. That sounds like my dream come true. Just hang around and enjoy tennis, the thing that I love so much, and then have this magical journey. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I feel like he's just like us, you know? And and yet he somehow is the head coach at SMU and we are not. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. That's just because you you didn't manifest that for yourself yet. But we, if you really wanted it, I know you'd get that. <laughs> well, that's like, uh, it was so funny on Instagram. Vanya was kind enough to tag me in a post, you know, talking about our Tennis Pal uh, event and also about a clubhouse event that we were doing together. And so when, when she shared it with me, I, of course, posted it on my stories and I said, I'm talking with Vanya King, who has two Grand Slam titles and trophies and myself, zero Grand Slam <laughs> trophies and titles. So, you know, we know who's the big draw in that crowd, you know? Yes. Hey. But it was so fun to talk to her, and, and it was so fun to talk to Grant. And just to know that there are such really strong 
uh, inspirational characters that are in tennis that are Asian American that are making a difference. And so it's fun to highlight them and what they're doing. And, and I really hope that we can turn to all different ethnicities and find people like this that are really making a difference um, coming from where they came from, just like Kale from Tennis Pal, right? I mean, her story mm-hmm. coming from Iran. I mean, I love that story. I hope people will go back and listen to that episode on Tennis Pal Chronicles and just hear why she started Tennis Pal and her inspirational story in coming over from Iran, being so in love with tennis and trying to play USTA tournaments all of her life. She's still playing. So, I mean, it's just great stories like that that belong on this podcast. It, it really is. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. You I'm know, glad you're doing it month. with me. So I couldn't do it without you. Super cool. <laughs> well, let's listen in to Grant Chen and welcome him to Tennis Pal Chronicles. So I am so honored to welcome Grant Chen to Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast. Hi, Grant. So glad you could make it. Thank you for having me. No, it's it's such a, a wonderful blessing to have you here, and especially as we're highlighting Asian Americans in tennis uh, this month for Asian American Heritage Month. And, you know, what an amazing story you have to move from assistant coach at UCLA to assistant head coach and now finally head coach at SMU in Texas. I mean, there's so much to unpack in that. But first, I want to learn a little bit about you. I don't know a lot about where you're raised or um, how you got into tennis. Would you mind taking us all the way back? Sure, sure. Well, I grew up, I'm a SoCal kid, born and raised. I, you know, grew up in Santa Barbara. And um, my my parents would play tennis every day after work at about 4.30, 5 o'clock for about an hour and a half with their friends. And then afterwards, we'd head home and have dinner. And my brother and I would kind of hang around the park and just run around and play on the swings and the slides and the, the jungle gym. And, and I remember when I was about five, six years old, I, I picked up one of my dad's old you know rackets, his backup, and he started hand tossing me a few balls and I would just swing, swing that Wilson Pro Staff 6-1. I remember it vividly, the one Edberg used. And you know, it was, it was what was laying around and, and I actually grew up two hands on both sides. So I had a two-handed forehand, two-handed backhand. Uh, Gotcha. I would just start swinging the racket ball and racket and make uh, make contact, and it kind of grew from there. So you know, my my parents would start tossing me balls for for a while. It was five ten minutes, and then it became thirty forty five minutes, and then it became hour forty. You know, it just kept the duration kept on increasing, and I really just fell in love with the game. And each summer, I would I would attend one or two weeks of the local tennis camp at UCSB, um, the Brady tennis camp or, you know, any one of those other tennis programs and, and just fell in love with the sport. And from that point on, I really knew I just wanted to be in tennis and I wanted to play tennis and I wanted to, you know, compete and, you know, do as well as I could. And I really thoroughly enjoyed the game. Um, you know, I, I had some mixed results, but, um, I certainly wasn't at the highest caliber, but I really loved the game and I, you know, I played for my high school and, played a lot of junior tennis and a uh, proud USTA SoCal, uh, you know, alum. Uh, give us some shout outs. What, what park did you actually first start playing tennis at? Where was that? Uh, about a block from my house was two courts, uh, local, just a local park in Santa Barbara, Berkeley tennis courts or something like that. And then down the street, when I, when I was a little bit more proficient and probably took up the game a little bit more, 
we joined Cathedral Oaks Tennis Club. Um, you know, that was when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And a little bit later down the road, we moved to the Tennis Club of Santa Barbara. So that was pretty much, you know, most of middle school and high school. And, uh, you know, we're still members there today. I still keep in touch with a lot of the Santa Barbara tennis community and the TCSB, the Tennis Club of um, Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara Tennis Patrons and, you know, VCJTA. Those are all some organizations that were pretty much big influences and impacts in my life and got into work with a lot of tennis pros in the in the area and, you know, from Mark McCampbell to... You know, you, you, Adrian Lopez, I mean, you name it. I, I had so many great memories and people that would um, kind of made impacts in my game. And uh, after that, I, I decided to go to UCLA. I, I kind of thought my tennis playing days were over. So I attended UCLA on my own. I got in on my own. And fall semester, my freshman year, I really missed the sport. I just, I wasn't happy. It was a tough transition. And then I remember playing tennis with one of the guys on the UCLA tennis team. It was a Wednesday night, 8 p.m. We hit under the lights for about half an hour. And, you know, it was my first time I hit a ball in four months. And afterwards, he was like, hey, why don't, why don't you try to help out the team and, and uh, get involved? And so I approached the head coach, Billy Martin, in January of 2001. And the rest is history. That's how it all started. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I think it was I saw online 15 years. Is that right, that you've been involved with UCLA? Well, I, you know, January 2001 to May of 2018. Yeah. You know, it was 18 seasons, um, was a lot of great times. My role has changed over the years and my my title evolved. Um, I started out as just basically a student manager. I, I helped with towels and laundry and picking up tennis balls and, you know, organizing and just doing whatever I could to help out. And I think as the years progress, I think my job description just kind of kept on growing and evolving. And, uh, you know, it became director of operations after I graduated college and then became assistant coach and became associate head coach and uh, really uh, incredible years and some great memories. And, and then uh, one day after the 2008 NCAAs, my phone rang, I had a phone call with SMU and that night I was on the red eye to Dallas. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And what a statement of faithfulness to tennis and to the sport, because obviously you were also studying, you have a BA in economics and sociology, isn't that right? I did. Um, so, you know, studied really hard, did, did pretty well in high school and worked, you know, worked my way to admissions at UCLA, which, you know, I, I think is no easy feat. And it's getting harder and harder each and every year with the number of people who apply to UCLA. But I, I, I love the years there. I loved being in Los Angeles. I really enjoyed kind of that big city um, got to experience so much. I volunteered, I interned, I helped out, I had a job. Um, you know, the Los Angeles Open was held at UCLA for many, many years. Right. I got to help out at that, which is put on by the USTA Southern California. And, you know, I, I got to see Agassi versus Sampras in the finals that one year, and it was six and six, some of the most incredible level of tennis. And, you know, Sam... Query won it many years in a row and just some great times and watched Mike and Bob and, you know, all these SoCal kids who, who I knew growing up. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of fun to see in such a special tournament in, in basically my backyard. Yeah, that's incredible. And now you're at SMU. I mean, how has that moved from Cali to Texas? Because you're a native Cali kid. It's got to be a big change. It, it certainly is. I mean, the I, I think so many transplants from California have ended up in Texas over the, the, the recent years. And so I don't think it's, it's too far-fetched, but 
Um, it's been a great town. They love their tennis. They love their golf. They love their community. And, you know, really have been excited and, and proud to be a member here and be able to move here. And it's been an incredible journey and a new chapter for my wife and I. So I think that's been really special to be able to immerse myself in the tennis community and the Dallas community here. Um, and the SMU family has just opened us with open arms and, you know, to be able to have this opportunity to, to take this team and to hopefully take it to uh, some, you know, new heights is, is, is a real exciting challenge. And, and, you know, on top of that, we've got a great campus, a beautiful facility, and, and it's something that I hope we can share with uh, other members of our tennis community. Right. And I think you're going to do, is it called the Dallas Open that's coming next year as well? I saw a picture. It just got announced yesterday. It was pretty special. It's been a project that's been in the works with the ATP and SMU and the city of Dallas. But um, we are bringing an ATP 250 event to Dallas. It'll be starting in 2022. It'll be one of 10 ATP tournaments in the U.S. and the only indoor tournament. So it will be pretty special. It'll be the first week of February and we're really thrilled to be able to have that. Um, Dallas Tennis is such a vibrant community, and they really enjoy the game. They, they all play it. They all watch it. And, and I think it'll be really well-received um, come next year. And I think the community is going to really enjoy watching you know, some of the top pros in the world and in, in the U.S. be able to, to duke it out and, and uh, you know, start the U.S. swing that leads to Delray and my Indian Wells and Miami. Wow, that's congratulations. That's going to be exciting. And to be around, I, I, and you're going to be hosting, right, uh, uh, there at the university. So it will be held at the indoor facility um, in our Brookshire Family Pavilion. Um, they're going to build a beautiful stadium court. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be pretty exciting to have. That's great. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Well, it's it's impossible to talk about uh, Asian American heritage without talking a little bit about your parents. So I'd, I'd love to hear their journey and kind of their interface. It's interesting that they played tennis uh, early on and also that they encourage you to play tennis because I know for a lot of Asian parents, uh, it's like, yeah, that's a great hobby, but don't pursue it. <laughs> so I'd love to t- hear their story and, and the interaction with tennis. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it was... Um you know, my, my family loves the game. Um, believe it or not, my uncle um, played Davis Cup for Taiwan. My aunt, who is currently in uh, Northern California, is very proficient in, in the game and played herself. My dad, um, you know, I would describe as your kind of your typical weekend hack warrior who just loves the game of tennis and would always just play. Certainly a little bit unorthodox uh, technique and, you know, his serve and you know you never exactly know where the ball's going to go but he loves the game and I think that's where I really fell in love with the sport it's just you know my dad and I would play and he tossed me balls and uh, you know when it came time I remember the first time I ever beat him I was 11. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> it was it was such a milestone for me and and uh, I remember it vividly you know it, it was one of those days that's always kind of on your bucket list as a kid is to to beat your dad uh, but, you know, I, I certainly was very involved with so many other things. I, I was, uh, academics was really important, obviously. I, I was uh, very involved. I did a lot of activities. I did a lot of community service. I, I played the piano. You know, I, I, so I certainly was very, very busy growing up as a kid. But I think tennis was uh, just what drew me and was a passion for me. And, you know, I certainly wasn't the most naturally gifted or, you know, that was probably more my brother. Um, but I, I really love the game and I love to practice. Um, and I think that's kind of taken me where I am today. But, um, you know, they, 
They were both born and raised in Taiwan and then moved here in their early 20s. They were both uh, um, pharmacists uh, for many, many, many years in Santa Barbara and loved the game. And, you know, my dad had a great small little group of friends who he would play tennis with three, four, five times a week. Um, and, and, and that was his little group of friends and they would play doubles or singles or two-on-ones or however many people showed up. They would just, they would just play and rotate. So I, I think it was such a huge impact and such a central focus of my upbringing. Weekends, I were on tournaments. I would drive all the way, you know, all around town, uh, all around town playing tournaments and all the USTA Southern California events. And uh, it was something that, you know, hopefully uh, I was able to pursue. And after high school, I really kind of thought my tennis was kind of come to an end. And I really, you know, thought I was okay with that decision until I got to college and I realized how big of an impact and how big of a role tennis played in my life. And, mm. and after that point, I really, after getting involved with the team, um, I started helping with that. I played tennis on campus, which is the club tennis for UCLA and was just so passionate about that, that it just became my entire world. And believe it or not, um, you know, most of my family is in medicine. You know, my parents are pharmacists, my uncles and aunts, they're all nurses and physicians and dentists. And, uh, you know, here I was uh, in a different field, um, but, you know, I, I loved it um, and I really enjoyed it. And, and I think they were all so happy for me that it wasn't a big deal because I really thought that I was going to end up at a medical school or, you know, one day follow in my footsteps of uh, the family. That's interesting. And did you ever get pushback at all from family or feel any pressure to leave tennis? No, no. I, and I think, I think at the root of it, my, my parents were happy that I found something that I was so passionate about. Um, and, and, you know, I somehow made a career into it. So I think through that, it's been really special that I was able to kind of forge my own path, but still be able to, you know, have an occupation, a profession, and, and I think have a future. So that was really it, was uh, being with the team. And in the summer, I was so involved with um, the UCLA tennis camps and the Bassett Marin tennis camps that are run by, you know, Billy Marin. And I just fell in love because, you know, where I found my love for the game was attending tennis camp when I was eight, nine, ten years old at UCSB on those rec courts next to Rob Jim. And I thought, you know, it was important to be able to pay it forward um, and hopefully give those kids that attended my camps an equal or even better experience to hopefully fall in love with the game as well. So that that's kind of been an overall goal of mine is to be able to share that passion and pay it forward. That's great. Being Asian American obviously plays a role in who you are, but I, I know for myself, I don't think of myself as a loud and proud Asian American. <laughs> I just think of myself as American. And you were at UCLA, which I, I'm assuming at that time had a ton of Asians like it does now. So how did you interface with tennis being Asian American? Did you see any differences or connect with people? You know, I, I think I, I had a lot of good people around me. And I think that was something that I was important and whether doubles partners or training partners or practice partners. And I think that was great for me, you know, to be able to have good friends, good practice partners. And I think just surround myself with good people, good coaches, good mentors. Um, so I think growing up, certainly I played a lot of tournaments, you know, certainly in Santa Barbara, I would drive to San Gabriel or Arcadia or, you know, Irvine, San Diego, everywhere around the central coast. And that includes up to San Luis Obispo and uh, Santa Maria and Bakersfield. Uh, but always really found um, 
good people to surround myself with who also loved the game. Um, and like I said, I wasn't the, the most talented tennis player or the most gifted tennis player, but I did think I loved it the most and I enjoyed it the most. And you know, whether I won or lost, I, I think I just um, appreciated the opportunity to be able to play and compete at whatever level I could p- perform at. And you're really at a higher level in you know the highest level of college, and as, as well as you've seen people like Mackie come through the program at UCLA and and go pro. How, how do you feel about Asian American tennis players and their chances? You know, I think we all we all have to identify most importantly any tennis player their strengths and what I would call their tennis identity, kind of what type of game style. You know, someone like Mackie. You know, he's really been able to utilize his tools so well, his movement, his backhand, his volleys. And then he's been able to enhance some of the other aspects of his game throughout juniors, college, and then now the pros. So to be able to see him now be able to compete five sets at the highest level against, you know, whoever it is, uh, second round of Australian Open, I mean, it's, it's so special for me to see. And, you know, it's fun because I've been able to see him grow up, play little Moe's at a really young age, and then obviously see him throughout his college years. And I'm, I'm so proud of him and what he's accomplished. And I've known him for so long and we still talk very, very often. Um, but there is a great community, you know, in Dallas here. I've gotten to know Tommy Ho very well, who, who, just stepped down from the USTA board of directors, played professional tennis for many years himself, um, you know, and has served at every capacity. And, um, you know, I've gotten to know him and so many other um, tennis pros, uh, you know, before us. I mean, you know, Michael Chang certainly has played a huge role. I remember ball kidding for him back in 92 at a exhibition event. Um, you know, Kimberly Poe, who is a you know, well thought of a tennis player and still, uh, you know, a mother um, with kids playing tennis in the Palos Verdes area. So a lot of great people, Asian Americans who are in the sport that I think have made so much of it. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see. It sounds like your parents were super unique in their support of you and your passion. And I, I just applaud that. I think that's so great. I just had a interview with Vanya King and she talked about, you know, how her, her father was just so instrumental in, in pushing her and getting to that level, but also how it was kind of a harder uh, relationship when she was younger and something that she had to kind of process as she got older. What would you say to Asian American parents that are trying to motivate their kids um, through tennis? I, I think there's a tremendous balance. I mean, you know, my parents certainly... I think expected and wanted the most out of me as well. And, and, um, you know, what they instilled in me was tremendous hard work. You know, Vanya had so much success throughout her levels that I think her expectations were certainly different. I I knew her and her family, her brother, Philip King, um, was a, a little older than me, but had, you know, a hundred times more success than I did, uh, much more than that. Um, so I think at every level, you got to appreciate the opportunities and what you have. And I think just make sure you're calibrated as to what the expectations are. You know, I think sometimes parents can live vicariously through their, their, their children, which is, you know, natural, but at the same time, I think it's make sure that it's also what the kids want. Um, you know, for me having, some success at my level was all I asked for. You know, I wasn't winning sectionals or playing number one on my zonals team, you know, and that was okay. I was playing a little lower in the lineup. And if I won a couple rounds and then lost in the quarterfinals to the number one seed, okay, so be it. Um, but I think it's just important to understand the, the focus, the goal and the pathway 
of what tennis, what you want to make out of the tennis. Because believe it or not, you know, a small percentage of them are going to earn a college scholarship. And then even, right. <laughs> and then even a smaller amount of that is going to have an opportunity to make money on the pro tour as a profession. So, you know, someone like Mackie and Marcos and some other proud, uh, you know, players that I've been able to work with and been around, you know, I mean, they're, they're really the exception to the rule. But if you can find what is passionate for you, then that's all the best. One of the most significant tennis events I've ever been a part of, hands down, is club tennis. I mean, that was a group of people who I just fell in love with and wanted to play for. And so that was something that was so special to me that allowed me to be able to enjoy the game of tennis. And I played for myself and I played for the, S, uh, the UCLA club team. And I would, the experiences I had at tennis on campus, national championships in Surprise, Arizona, Cary, North Carolina, uh, I mean, some of the greatest memories I will ever have. And I would take that over um, you know, the US Open or the Wimbledon or, you know, I mean, I think it was such a special, unique event because everyone who was there was passionate about tennis. That is so great. And that's actually what this podcast is. It's a podcast about the passion for tennis. So I love that you shared that. And it speaks to so many of us who are just really like rec players that just have a crazy passion for tennis. We know we'll never be on Wimbledon grass, you know, (laughs) it would be amazing if we did. But I think it's so interesting that you said right after high school, you thought that you know, tennis was over for you because it seems like that's a trend. People have this amazing high school experience of team, camaraderie, society, and it really fuels their passion. And then the gap between high school and college, the the level at college is so high. I think it's great that there's a a club tennis at UCLA. We need so much more happening at the college level to keep tennis alive for people. Absolutely. You know, and and I think what was special for me at, at UCLA and playing club tennis is I got to play Stanford club tennis, USC club tennis, kind of enjoy those rivalries that, you know, kind of was always special. I mean, when you play UCLA, USC, that's a special moment at whatever level, whether it's basketball, football, varsity team, college, club, uh, the club team. It's just something so special that, you know, you'll never forget. And I think it's finding a way to still remain in the game um, and be able to enjoy the game you love. I mean, it's it's something that so many people have invested a tremendous amount of their time and resources and finance to be able to get to a, a certain level. But I think it's important to keep the big goal in mind. You know, let's not get so fixated on rankings and UTRs and just remember the reason of why we play. I think sometimes it's, it's, you know, you get caught up in, well, if I win this match, my UTR goes up 0.01. And if I lose this match, I drop it. Is it UTR competitive? Is it going to hurt my tennisrecruiting.net? Is it going to hurt my USTA ranking? And I think we need mm-hmm. to keep on focusing on overall the development of one's game, one's mental, and being physically healthy and, he- and strong. You know, I think these are the things that are sometimes focused on, but those are harder things to quantify. You know, it, it's tough to say, well, I got better this year, even though it doesn't show in my results. But that's why I think sometimes the UTR can be a blessing and a curse in that there's a tangible barometer that says you are this rating. But, you know, those also don't measure how hard you work or maybe you got injured or the number of tournaments you played. So I think you need to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. 
Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I love that, especially for parents. Um, you know, a lot of the kids uh, that I'm training, uh, we have a lot of cheating going on kind of in the juniors because they're all trying to get the ranking and, you know, go higher. And it's such great advice to think about the development and that the fact that that number doesn't define you as a person. So I love what you just said. That's really great. Absolutely. You know, I mean, here I am, I, I did not play college tennis. I didn't play professional tennis. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be involved in the game for many, many years. And I hope that I'll be fortunate enough to have the opportunity to continue this for many more years to come. But I, I do love the game. You know, I love watching tennis. I'll go on vacation um, overseas to watch Wimbledon and the French Open and, you know, Monte Carlo. And those are what I want to do is on my vacation time, let's go watch more tennis or let's be at a tennis event, you know? And I, <laughs> and I, I think that's, that's uh, just a testament of what I what this game has given to me and how much I also want to continue embracing it and, and hopefully being able to grow and promote the sport myself. Right. And you're lucky because I believe your wife is actually a very avid player and plays in league as well, right? I, I think avid might be a little bit of an understatement. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think she currently is involved in 11 different teams, both in the state of California and in the state of Texas. So um, oh my a- avid might be an understatement, but yes, you know, um, it's been really fun. My wife and I have been able to, I think, enjoy the sport in our own ways. Um, we sometimes uh, will play together or hit together. I think we try to keep it more sporadic when, when we can both enjoy it, but she's got a great circle of tennis friends and so do myself. And believe it or not, we actually played in a husband-wife tournament last December in Dallas and um, you know, that was a, I think a nice moment for us to be able to enjoy the game together, but she's taken her own tennis and been able to enjoy the sport herself. And I think that's been what I've appreciated the most. She has her own tennis coach. She has her own circle of friends. So she doesn't need to play tennis with me. You know, she can play without <laughs> me. You know? So I think that's great. <laughs> that is great. Being the fan that you are of tennis, I'm sure you've had some incredible moments meeting some of some legends in tennis and, and moments that have been very special for you. And I'd love to hear your passion. Absolutely. You know, I've been fortunate enough to have been able to be around some greats and some good, good tennis people and friends, um, you know, from Pete Sampras to Roger Federer and to Rafa, to Grigor, to, you know, you know, even some of the even legends before that. So mm-hmm. to be able to meet, you know, Rod Laver and whoever has been so incredible to me and, and uh, you know, passionate. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm also in awe of so much of what these guys have been able to do with their tennis careers, both past um, and currently. And, you know, some of the future stars myself. So I think that's been a lot of... Um, real fond memories to be able to share a court with Roger or Novak and be able to watch them compete and have dinners with them. So it's been fun and and just something that I'll always cherish and remember. Well, I'm a huge Roger fan, so I would love to hear one specific memory, if you if you wouldn't mind breaking down some detail on how it was interacting with him and what he said to you and, you know, why it was special for you. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, Roger and Pete um, started a close friendship uh, a little bit after Pete retired. And so I think they got to spend some time together in Los Angeles, which I think was so, so great for both of them. And they played a couple exhibitions that I was able to witness and watch myself, including the one at Madison Square Garden, which, you know, just felt like a absolute, uh, 
you know, David, you know, Goliath boxing match. It was so fun to see the, the <laughs> Madison Square Garden was rocking. Um, so that was great. The, the, and the serving aces was so much fun. Oh, That's amazing. Oh, yeah. so so wonderful. And then, you know, had had a few other memories with him. And one of them was uh, before about twenty minutes before he walked on to Arthur Ashe for the finals of a U.S. Open which he ended up winning, I, I, I'm trying to remember what year, I happened to bump into him in the hallway outside the locker room. And, you know, it was 20 minutes before he walked on stage. I didn't want to, you know, get too involved. And I, he looked like he was in his own little zone and world. And so I kind of passed by him without saying anything. And then he stopped in his tracks, looked back at me, and he was like, Grant, are you not even saying hello? Um, and, oh I, my gosh. And, and so we, we had a good laugh about it. And I, and I remember talking to him and just saying, I, I didn't want to mess up his mojo or his process, you know, as he's about to play, a you know, whoever it was in the finals of a U.S. Open. And he goes, no, nah, it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, it's that's the fun part. And, and we end up getting to catch up for a few minutes, uh, literally 20 minutes before he walked on court. Wow, that, that that's the dream for Roger to walk by me and say, "Philip Kim, aren't you going to say hi?" <laughs> well, you know, he he's such a he's such a genuine guy, and we've been able to have some times together, both uh, you know, at different tennis events. But um, it really was kind of kind that he actually wanted to see how things were going and asked how my family was doing and you know how things were in Los Angeles at the time. And here he was, you know, preparing for Grand Slam number whatever it was, you know, so, uh, but just kind of a testament to who he is and what he's done, um, you know, to make an impact in the sport. I mean, he really is. So, um, you know, that's just, that's how he is. I mean, the guys like him and Rafa, I mean, these guys have absolutely transcended our sport to become where it is now. And I think, uh, you know, the sport's in a better place uh, because of these guys, you know, and, and uh, just be able to have some memories with these guys is, is great. And, and the others are the same. I mean, they, they just, they, they've been able to gain a lot from the sport, but I also think they've given back a hundred folds over what, you know, to help grow the sport and to meet people and fans and autographs and kids and ball boys and everything. So I think these guys are just, you know, such on a, they're, they're goats for so many different reasons and not just for their tennis accomplished, but also what they've accomplished and what they've given and grown the game. Yeah. Well, Grant, in your own way, you really have made a difference and made a mark. And, you know, this month we're paying tribute to the generations of Asian Americans who have enriched America's history. And I've got to say that you really have enriched tennis by being such a huge part of UCLA's program and, of course, now in your new chapter at SMU. So congratulations on all the success and we're really looking forward to seeing what happens now. Uh, I think this is like part two for you, right? The, the brand new beginning. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's an incredible game and it really is a sport of a lifetime that you can play with anybody. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to play tennis with older than me, younger than me, my age, uh, you know, wheelchair tennis, um, you know, just all, all different wide range of people. And I think that's one of the unique parts of this sport is that it's just the love of the game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited for whatever, you know, is is ahead of me, but at the same time, I've also know that this this sport's given me a lot, and and if I can play a small role in helping it grow as well, then uh, then all the better. But uh, you know, it, it has been a fun journey. But I think um, 
you know, as an avid league player myself and, you know, who's been a part of so many different organizations, but find ways to still stay in the game. I think that's the, that's what I would convey and the message that I would want to share is just, you know, if you love the game, find a way to play it. And it doesn't have to be at the, you know, varsity division one level or professional level. There are so many avenues to be able to enjoy this game at whatever level you want to. It's just finding that right fit, finding the right opportunity and have a couple good group of friends around you who love the game and want to play as well. Well, that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you so much, Grant Chan, for your time. Really appreciate your stories and hearing about your history. And thanks for helping us uh, highlight Asian American awareness as well. We really think that you're one of the people who are making a difference in tennis and appreciate your time. I appreciate all your efforts and what you've done. Um, and I really look forward and, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to do part two. And at the same time, if you want, I will do a reverse podcast and I can interview you. <laughs> that would be amazing. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Grant. We hope you have a great, great season. Best of luck for everyone with SMU and uh, hope you have a wonderful time in the summer as well. Absolutely. Same to you. Enjoy it out there and we'll see you on the tennis court soon. Okay. Take bye care. Bye-bye. Wow, Philip, that was so amazing. What a great interview. I love Grant Chen, don't you? I, I, I do. I, he's so passionate and his wife being like, you know, has her own coach and is <laughs> so passionate about her own tennis. What what an amazing couple. These are our people. This is our tribe, you know? Yes. I mean, you you find the best people and you get the best out of them. I love it. You're so special. Well, um, there are so many people that we should be talking to. So, hey, if you know someone out there that you think we should be interviewing and have a connection with them, we'd love to hear from you. Could you send me an email, PK? the letters P and K at tennispal.com. I would love to hear from you. We'd love to be inspired by who inspires you, right, Valerie? Yes, for sure. I mean, I don't know if that, I think that was rhetorical, but uh, <laughs> yes, we would love to hear. I think, I think we have some things lined up or some messages and things out there, but hopefully they'll come to fruition soon. Um, but yes, you brought up your email address, by the way, and I just, I don't want to miss any opportunity to thank Tennis Pal, the Tennis Pal app, uh, for making this podcast possible. They're so awesome. If you guys don't have the app already, I highly suggest it's on my homepage of my phone. It's like one of the first ones, um, that I see when I open it is Aww. the Tennis Pal app and it's available for iPhones, Android, you know, any platform. You can also just go on the web to tennispal.com. Um, but this is the best app for any tennis fan. If you're looking for someone to play with, if you need a coach, um, if you want like social media content for, for tennis, um, anything about like whatever current tournaments are going on, there's just a plethora of information. There's like videos and there's like pings. You could just send out a ping and it goes everywhere in like your local area. Like, hey, I wanna play tennis right now. Um, it's super, super cool. I highly suggest you go get it. I use it frequently because I don't have regular people to play tennis with. And I also like randomly just want to play tennis, like, oh, I just want to play tennis like right now, right? And so not everyone that I know is available 
But if I just put out a ping to all this this tennis community near me, someone's bound to, to bite and be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in the area, I'm down. So it's super cool. I know Philip has it and uses it all the time too. I do love it. And I, I love uh, introducing myself to people. And I think not people don't always respond. <laughs> I don't know if it's because, you know, the the word coach is next to my name. It's like, oh my gosh, oh, I don't want to hit with the coach, you. you know? Yeah, you probably, you get, um, you're getting like, I don't know, the cold shoulder. But, but I have to say that actually the same thing happened to me and I'm not a coach. Uh, <laughs> but when the coach feature launched, somehow I accidentally signed myself up as a coach. Oh, right. (laughs) And I, and I hadn't like fixed it. So for a while I was asking people and I was wondering why nobody was responding. (laughs) And then I realized, yes, it is true. But so just so you guys know, just because a coach pings you, it doesn't mean that they're always a coach or maybe they are a coach. Like Philip is a coach, but he just wants to play with people. I will um, hit with anyone and at any level. he is not trying to sell it. his services. He just wants to play because he loves the game. So, Well, I am trying to sell my services. Oh, come but. on. You're not gonna, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to hook you up here. Get people to, get people to accept your ping. <laughs> yeah, well, I do believe that I can help most people's game in tennis. And so that's what I love. I love helping them with their game. And I love what I do in coaching. So if I can help, that would be great. But of course, I do just love hitting with anyone at any level. I really do. Because really, as a tennis player, I'm always thinking, it doesn't matter who's on the other side. I'm just playing tennis and I'm trying to hit this ball that's coming at me, you know? So it doesn't matter who's coming, who whose racket it's coming off of, really. Well, Super you fun. are so much kinder than me. I am. I do not play well with... <laughs> With all others, I'm I'm very I'm that I'm that snob who's like, you have to, you have to at least to be at my level or better because I want to improve. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it is hard because sometimes if you're playing with someone that hasn't ever had lessons before, I mean, it's you're chasing the ball more than you're hitting the ball, you know. So that is kind of frustrating. I understand why someone would feel that way, but I also do have a heart for people who are trying to learn how to play tennis. And it's frustrating because you get a lot of attitude from people who just don't want to play with you. Rightly so. It's, it's not, you know, it's not as fun chasing balls, but how else do they learn and how else do they get in if, if someone like myself or someone else doesn't help them, you know? Yeah. Uh, a wall. (laughs) <laughs> just kidding you know how hard it is to hit a wall it is so hard. it really is i cannot play oh with the wall gosh. i'm like i'm i can for a little while but then i don't know it bounces back so fast and all of a sudden i'm like oh my god oh my god i can't get yes you are a kind soul philip you're the best did i ever show you that video the tennis wall that i love um Possibly. It depends on what you're talking about. Was it the the Roger Federer challenge with the volleys? No, no. It's a it's a documentary kind of video that this guy created. I think I think it's up on Vimeo. I'm gonna put it in the notes on the show notes because I really think some, everybody should see it. But it's basically about him and his dream of playing tennis. But he doesn't have anybody to play tennis with, so he just hits against the wall. And then there's this one moment where he he just thinks about dreams about being at Wimbledon and you know he like lays down on the grass and he's just (laughs) thinking about it and he can hear the crowd cheering and you know and then he shows these scenes of like the those famous moments where someone falls down because they won and it's just the cutest thing one of my favorite tennis videos ever 
cool. I'll look for that in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Well, many thanks to Grant Chan for being a part of this podcast. And I feel like, you know, everything that he said is so insightful and, and we should be listening. I mean, of course, he's a head coach at SMU, but also the fact that he's such a huge Roger Federer fan. He's met with Djokovic and all of those people and that whole story of meeting Roger. And he was the one um, who took that famous picture of Roger and Pete Sampras practicing in Los Angeles. You know that famous, famous picture that you see everywhere? That's Grant. Grant took it. He was there. He was there at the memorable meeting of the tennis legends. Can you believe it? My gosh. So cool. And you know, so cool. Philip, thank you so much for setting this up for Asian American Heritage Month. It's so important. And I'm really blessed to know you and that you are always just doing the right thing for the right reason. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I just love the whole team of people that I get to do this with. And I'm just so, super grateful for them as well. And hopefully we'll, on this podcast, we'll also be highlighting other ethnicities and talking about all of the amazing people in tennis that have gone so far and lived the dream as well, because there's so many great stories to tell. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds good. When well, we get to the Hispanic Heritage Month, I'll pretend to be you know, a real Garcia. <laughs> and I will too. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. We sure appreciate your support of this podcast. We would love to hear from you. So send us an email, leave us a message on Instagram, lovesetmatch or Twitter. And we just hope that you have a great, great time playing tennis this summer because the summer months are coming. Hopefully we'll have a lot of great podcasts ahead. And may all your serves be aces. aces. Woo woo!